Hello and welcome back again behind the bar of a pint of Cthulhu. Today we have Cooper from Echoes of Esherton. Hello. <laughs> and I've also got my co-host Jay. Hey. So let's jump right in with the first question. Uh, it's always the one we use to break the ice. If you could say a pint of Cthulhu was any drink, what drink would you say it was? Mm, does it have to be a draft or a beer in, in particular? Anything you want. Bleach, absinthe, yeah. Okay, I'll narrow it down for my overseas counterparts here. I, I hope you all appreciate this because I love them both. Based on color and, you know, a nice uh, uh, creamy head because patience is worth it, either a Guinness or a Killian's Irish Red. Oh, two new answers there. We've not had that before. And both excellent ones. Thank you. I don't know, I've never been a fan of uh, Guinness, to be honest. A bit too irony for me. It's a, it's a bit much, but it can be nice. I'd lose my it's, Irish It's a beer heart. and a meal, in my opinion. <laughs> yes, very much so. Let's go start from the uh, less booze-based questions. <laughs> we know you've done a bit of D&D with us, and you have your own podcast as well, but what TTRPGs have you actually played around with? And uh, what's your favourites? Yeah, um, let's see. It hasn't been extensive, but the ones that I have played, I've really thrown myself into and, and try to squeeze the most out of in terms of enjoyment. I'd say D&D 5e, which you mentioned. I've played City of Mist. Um, it's a sort of neo-noir uh, city thriller game. Um, it has potential for RP. It's a little bit more on the pick-up-and-play style, um, I mean, there's definitely room for you to inject life into any character that you play. But essentially, it boils down to uh, modern-day fairy tales and fables brought into a misty, dusky cityscape. Yeah, for instance, you know, like Little Red Riding Hood. Um, she has, uh, I think, a wolf companion or something. Or, you know, something to do with the big bad wolf. But she, um, or uh, an, even, an even better example, uh, Zeus. Zeus comes to life as a character, as like a, a younger man, and he has these action potentials that can be played on his turn, and you essentially try to solve mysteries throughout the city. Maybe there's a bank robbery or some trouble brewing in the sewer, um, and so that one's really fun. I wish I could expand more, but it's been a while since I've played it. From what you've um, seen, it reminds me kind of the old video game. The Wolf Among Us. That's, the Wolf Among that's Us, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Comparison. The best comparison. <laughs> well, yeah, I agree, Jay. Um and what else? Um, I played a little bit of Delta Green. Uh, I like the secure, contain, protect aspect of it. Um, oh, is I anybody love familiar SCP. with SCP? Yeah, SCPs. Uh, I love them, man. Oh, yes. I, I would highly encourage Delta Green. It's a fun game. A fun little channel that does stuff like that on YouTube is uh, Site42. Okay. My short form videos about SCPs and stuff. Oh, I like that. Okay. Good. I'll have to play that in the background. I've, I've dipped, dipped. I say, not cannonballed, because it is they call it the hobby for a reason. But I've dipped my toes into the Warhammer uh, franchise, um, 40K yeah. specifically. Uh, it's incredibly dense, and I'd say it's even more dense than the TTRPG I'm currently playing and what my podcast, Echoes of Eshetan, centers around, which is the game Degenesis. Um, Degenesis is a post-apocalyptic, uh, primal punk, fight-for-survival type of TTRPG, and... Um, you know, I, I had made mention to Matt 
earlier and to you, Jay, last night about running a game. And I think everybody gets a lot of enjoyment out of that just based on the world alone. Um, but those are the heaviest ones that I've played in recent memory. I've been sort of weaning off D&D 5e just a little bit because I've wanted to explore more. Um, one game that's on my radar, I want to give a shout out to my friend uh, uh, R3D John, who's also on Discord. But he introduced me to the world of Twilight 2000. It's... Um, it's a war game, uh, and it has big hex crawls on it and resource management, but it's also based on what World War III would look like and troop movement and you know taking Ooh. over spaces in Europe and across, uh, across Eastern Europe. So that one looks really fun, too, and the art on that game is really fun. So those are games I've played and one on my radar. Nice. So how did you come up with the idea for your podcast, and also how did you come up with the idea to make it a solo run? Well, <laughs> maybe I think the heaviest reason that I came up with it, I'll answer that, that part first, is because I believe it or not, as, as dense as the world is and as fun, much fun as I have playing it, it's kind of hard to find people to play with. Um, not necessarily in person, because uh, that always off, offers its own challenges, is getting people together around a table. But um, I just, I like, I like making my own fun. And struggling with trying to find people to play with, um, I said, well, let me just really lower the barrier to entry here. And I know how to make my own fun. I also do a lot of uh, my own writing. I write the entire story and the campaign myself. And um, I just wanted to see if I could do it. And then I was like, well, I, I have a good understanding of the rules. And I think I could really make this enjoyable just for myself to start. So I just I grabbed you know big handfuls of uh, six-sided dice, which is the only dice type in the game. Uh, so I find that it's pretty simple to use. And I just start rolling. I said, well, you know, I, I like writing, but what if the dice made all the decisions for me? Because that's generally how TTRPGs go. So based on that, and then coupled with the fact that, and I got to give a big shout out to um, to my colleague, uh, if he'd be so kind to accept the term, my colleague, John, uh, he's based in Canada. And he runs a D&D Advanced First Editions podcast called Tale of the Manticore. And Tale of the Manticore really set me on this path to doing the solo play aspect of running a game. Uh, John, uh, he, man, I can't can't praise him enough because he he did the sound effects, he did music, and I was, you know, I, I jumped on right in the middle of season one. So this was, I think he started in 2019 or 2020, and he's really a uh, shot up the ranks in terms of. Uh, actual play audio dramas well not really an actual play because it's he's solo himself he's really shot up the ranks of solo play uh for dungeons and dragons and uh <laughs> he even has a really cool shorthand name for his podcast tale of the manticore t-o-t-m so we call him totem fans in uh, in the fandom which is pretty cool sounding um but he got me inspired inspired in this space and uh he's been doing really big things he does his own character writing i've actually done a few guest guest voices for his podcast as well and um yeah, I, I hope that answered it thoroughly. Tale of the Manticore, huge inspiration. And I didn't see anybody else kind of exploring this space in terms of solo play. And that's, you know, maybe that's based on people not wanting to do podcasts or maybe being scared of putting the writing out there. But I find that the more I typed, the easier it got. So I just kind of followed it naturally. I was going to say, I have not heard of Genesis until I found your podcast. No one else I've seen do this. Which is a shame because it seems brilliant. Yeah, that was my thinking as well. And Matt, I, I apologize uh, 
I apologize directly to your hard drive because he sent me a screen cap of all of his downloaded files that he had, all the, the huge list of zip files. And it's speaking of dense lore, I mean, this, this game has it. You know, it, it, as deep and as granular as you want to go into something, it's probably been described in detail. And the beautiful thing about it is that even if it hasn't, if you want to invent some, some extra text based around a location or a character, the game gives you free reign to do that. And I, I like operating within those parameters. It gives me really good, uh, rigid guidelines to kind of be creative. Yep. It does seem like a very unique kind of game thing. It's got similar vibes to some of the stuff we've done with Call of Cthulhu, just a lot more, a lot bigger, more sprawling. I'm really excited to get a look at it. Yeah, I, I hope you uh, hope you dive deep into it, because it's, it's a lot of reading, which I've never had a problem with, but the more I read, the more my mind expands uh, in that world. And... Uh, and, and the space, the space was open to do it. And I said, well, I just, this just seems too good of an opportunity to not do it. So yeah. it, it takes a, a decent amount of production time. I'm sure the team at Pine of Cthulhu is no stranger to production and oh, getting Matt things. especially, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the team. When, when people me. remember to record, <laughs> myself included, which I'm recording now. I just want to make that, make that known. <laughs> uh, yeah. I know that the Genesis uses a as you said, D6s instead of D20, like a lot of RPGs do. Do you ever find it difficult, since you're both the DM and the player in a lot of it, to sort of set difficulties for stuff? Since you're uh, the one that's going to be up, going up against it. That's a good question. You know, I yes and no. Um, you, you, you write these characters and you have fun building stories but I really wanted to stick to the same principle that Tale of the Manticore stuck with, which is the, the, the dice determine all. So if I, if I really want to try to eke out the, the remainder of a story, I'll, you know, I won't fudge dice rolls, but I will try to like frame things around. It's like, well, let me get them a little bit further before they have the possibility of <laughs> getting their head cut off or shot in the chest or something. Um, difficulties, though, the game has a fairly straightforward difficulty table. Um, that you can lean on. So that's not a challenge in and of itself to kind of reference that, but letting go of your characters is hard. So I guess that'd be the hardest point is like, well, based on the based on the surrounding context and the situation they're in, let me be fair to the dice and let the dice determine it. Oh man, but I really want this guy to survive. Oh, maybe they will. And so it's, it's exciting at the same time. So I, I while I don't like setting arbitrary values to stuff, sometimes it is necessary when I'm writing it to really make it feel more like a game. Um, and I think that's what people start to gravitate towards. I like to try to keep people who are listening a little bit on the edge of their seats to find out what, what's happening next. Um, like, for instance, uh, as a brief example, the party was doing some overland travel a couple episodes ago, and there wasn't a table for a random weather event. So I was like, oh, well, all right, well, what can I do about this? So instead of spending so many hours and brain power figuring out calculations and doing things, now this is something that I, I am not ashamed to admit because it really helped uh, streamline some of the production and writing process, was I, I went on to ChatGPT, and I input um, some of the values in there. I was like, all right, I want this and this, and based on the lore of Degenesis, which it has you know some working knowledge of based on the text that's online, I said, uh, all right, based on these ecosystems and these areas of travel, I want this, this, and this prescribed to these sides of the dice, and just spat it right out and I was like oh man all right so I got a I got a functional table in like three seconds that was great so I was able to move forward from there um so making making your own tables is fun uh Tale of the Manticore has done that as well 
and he's he's pretty judicious about how he um, sets difficulties himself. So I've had a lot of other experience and context context to lean on. Just as you mentioned, ChatGPT, it's going to deviate from our list of questions we got, but I didn't realize you're going to bring this up. How much do you use that? What you, what was your opinion on using that as a tool? Because a lot of people don't like AI at all. Yeah, yeah, and and for reasons well established, you know, I it's it's people are like, oh, it's the death of creativity and this, that, and the third. Well, I I disagree with a lot of that. I think that using it as a functional tool to enhance the skills that you already have, I think that that's totally fine. I think. I think the biggest discrepancy comes when people lean on it completely to do everything for them. And I think the the danger in that is, is that it robs you of making your own, putting your own voice into what you're doing, whatever the creative project is. I think that there's a lot of discussion about AI, but it tends to be about AI art. And I mm. might be biased, but I feel like AI art and AI writing are two different things. Because even the most yeah. basic AI art is just taking two pictures or many pictures from an artist and merging them together and saying it's new art, which it kind of is. It's like collage a bit, but I still feel like that's a bit iffy. Whereas AI writing tends to just be... Like, it's very rare that you're going to get something that's recognizably ripped from another person's writing that's coherent and you can just slap down and say it's your own. People notice yeah. that the words aren't right unless you edit yeah. it and put effort in. I think they're two sides of the same coin, uh, and that that goes back to the stifling your own creative creative freedoms that I mentioned. Um, you know, I I would take uh, I don't I wouldn't take umbrage at it, but I would I would be a little frustrated as well, just like I know many artists are for for feeling devalued in that sense. But at the same time, I don't think that it's inherently bad to use it as a starting point. But leaning entire like I said, leaning entirely on that to do everything that is. That is robbing people of their creative expression and their joy. And I, I'd speak as a writer because I, you know, there are with some clever keyword usage and you know, using the using the key phrase, write this in the style of. Now that becomes a dangerous proposition. So like, you know, I, I just made it for simple tables, or if like it's like ah, I need a description of a military outpost. You know, I just do something like that just to give me kind of a, a start to go with. But if I were to say, is anybody familiar with the? Um, is anybody familiar with the Halo book series, the first couple by Eric Nyland? Oh hell, you're talking to a Halo fan here. <laughs> yep, quite a few of the podcasts are. I'm not, I'm not a super fan, but I, I have played the games and I have read some of the novels because I like the world building in it. But if I were to write something to say, like if I was doing something science fiction based, if I was, if I was to say, all right, uh, write a description of you know a forthcoming alien horde that's been around for so many centuries and have them take over. For example, I know this would never happen, but have them take over the Pillar of Autumn, you know, and, and write it in the style of Eric Nyland. So if I were to say something like that, and GPT, GPT, chat GPT was able to spit out 350 words, you know, that's that's not really injecting myself into any of that. I, I've, I've begged and borrowed from previous writers to help make something, quote unquote, new for me. And I think that's what uh, I think that's what the big discrepancy is, is, you know. What at what point do we draw a line and say, all right, well, what what is actually yours? What beca- what intellectual property becomes yours, even if you combine, you know, so many different styles together? And it's it's a question that's going to remain unanswered for you know the next little bit. Um, and people are people are free to have opinions and, and be upset about that because I completely understand as a creative myself. But if you need something to get you started, 
Man, it's a tool. I say use it. That's my yeah, opinion. I'd, I'd do it as a prompt. Generally, yeah, exactly. Almost. Yeah, a jumping off point. Yeah. It'll give you the basic ideas, but you should work into it on your own and give it your own stuff. That's what I think. Yeah. Speaking of creation, and back onto the topic of TTRPGs, um, how do you <laughs> figure out what characters you're going to make? How much do you leave the chance there? And how much do you go, oh, this would help the story along if I did this? Hmm. When you make new characters when the old ones inevitably die, as I have much, much experience with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Matt said you, you've died quite a few times. Uh, What's it, uh, six or something? Uh, yeah, about six. How do you approach your character creation and development? Okay. Okay. So I think I think what I start with is I start with a very overarching goal of what I want the story to be. You know, I want it to have uh, typical typical writing fare. You know, have an introduction, have a conflict, have some rising action, have you know a climax at some point wh- wherever that falls in the story, and then have some resolution after. And I think I base characters based on how they fit in that narrative framework. For instance, in episode two, between a rock and a hard place, I was like, okay, well, I want to tell the story of a scrapper, which is a type of I'm going to use the word cults, but you can consider them kind of like the analog of classes in D&D, for instance. So the scrapper cult, um, they meander the waste. They're big, you know, traders. They uh, tow these uh, rickety sleds behind them carrying parts that they found in the wasteland. Because this game takes place 500 years on a future Earth. So there's all these bygone relics, right? So I said, well, I want to have a scrapper. I want to have him investigate a place, whether it's a ruinous landscape or a small cache or whatever the case, and I want him to uh, get some conflict in there. So you know, I'm gonna have to figure out what that looks like, and then after that, that's when I let the dice decide. I say I'll give him a little motivation, and then as the dice you know roll, it's like okay, well he's gonna get he's he's stymied here based on this dice roll. Maybe he has a thought of something in his past that's going to help him overcome this and maybe get a better role in the future. And then from there, I can kind of establish, all right, well, he, he's done this in his past before. He knows this. His mentor always gave him great advice. Um, in the episode, he has a quick flashback to somebody at a, at a local watering hole in a big city. And his mentor was like, when the world feels like it's squeezing around you, find the courage to keep inching forward. You know, put scrappers put themselves in tight spots very often. So I was like, okay, well, that's that's easy. That's part and parcel of the cult first. And second of all, he's got some motivation to either follow the words of his mentor and, you know, make a name for himself separate from her. So he's going to take maybe some bigger risks than he normally would. So that's kind of how I take character development. And uh, there's just a breadth of great cults to choose from. And they all have their own stories and surrounding uh surrounding context so it's it's not hard for me i know it can be a challenge to others and I, that came off like a brag i did not mean it to sound like that but it's it's not hard for me based on all the great source material that i already have so finding a narrative framework figuring out where the characters fit in that framework and letting the dice do the rest and that's that's inherent to the podcast that i'm doing that would operate differently for telling longer form stories i think so, with the episodes released so far, and I'm obviously guessing you have a backlog of a few, what are some memorable, or even just funny moments, something that you found amusing or generally memorable in your own sessions? Hmm. Memorable? Man, I some of my favorite episodes, it was a five-part series called Sworn Duty. 
and it focused on the um, it focused on the cult of the Anabaptists. They're kind of loosely a paladin analog, I guess you could say. They have you know a lot of uh, divine righteousness built up within them. They operate on these very strict set of religious rules. Um, but there's always, you know, just like dark paladins or fallen oath paladins, um, there's room for to explore the dark side. And I think as I was writing that, one of my favorite moments to write and to kind of set up was the transition of a younger Anabaptist, uh, you know, uh, taking part in this ritual that would send him over the edge to become this new sort of battle-hardened warrior. You know, he would have his mind opened up through, uh, you know, taking this series of oils and drugs and the ritual. And uh, it was re- it was really fun to see him kind of like develop that and find his inner destiny in that sense. And that, that kind of happened organically. Uh, I was writing it. I was like, all right, well, okay. The main, the main goal for this narrative is that there's a secret uh, cult, you know, separate from the class cults. There's a secret, secret uh, fallen Anabaptist cult in the city. It's like, all right, well, who's going to investigate that? Uh, hmm. Uh, the emissary's right-hand man, right? He's the emissary's in charge of the, the area of the city where the Anabaptists reside. It's like, okay, well, he can't just be a lone wolf. He's he's going to be a little bit older. Maybe he has a family. Oh, well, he has a son and a daughter. Well, what are they good at? What, do they respect their dad? You know what? And it just kind of, you just ask questions, and it kind of naturally unfolds from there uh, is, is how I tend to operate. But yeah, I was like, okay, well, if he has a son, and he's going to need some backup taking down this uh, fallen Anabaptist cult. Well, he can't just be some greenhorn kid swinging a sword. I mean, that that part can be interesting, and you can definitely make that a wrinkle. But what if he's on the cusp of manhood, and this is his latest decision to join up with his dad? Ah, well, what about a ritual? What, what does the source material say about a ritual? And I'll spend like a week and be like, oh, okay, well, they mean this, and they do this, they light these candles. So that's kind of how it works. Yeah, just hopping down all the rabbit holes, figuring yeah. stuff out. So I'd say sworn duties one, and then, you know, I, I gotta gotta pat myself on the back just a bit here. I really love building soundscapes, and I think one of my favorite episodes that features really good soundscapes is episode eight, Protect and Sever. So I was mentioning to Matt about the cult of judges earlier. They're the they're the lawbringers in this barren wasteland, or at least in a certain part of the world. I had I was like, all right, well, how do I set the scene for this city? You know, we've explored a part of the city before. It's a big sprawl, but let's make something a little bit more focused. Ah, let's start with a foot chase. All right. I was like, all right, well, he's going to be like the first Assassin's Creed trailer. He's going to be like bumping through people and like jumping over woven baskets and stuff. So I input little bits of color and, and sound where I thought it was necessary. I was like, okay, well, there's another part of the city that's elevated above everything. And they have to take an elevator to get up there. This huge metal platform. I was like, what does that sound like? So I'll just spend hours just like listening to elevators go up and down and maybe not hours. That sounds a little like I'm got the lights off in a basement somewhere. But um, (laughs) yeah, I I enjoy making soundscapes. And I think episode eight is a great example of that with people milling about, setting the scene for a large sprawling city, people calling out commands like, oh, raise the elevator, you know, we've got steam pipes to light and stuff. So those are those are some of my favorite moments, mainly related to sound. Yeah, your passion for that really shows through. I've only had the chance to listen to a couple episodes, but the sound, the quality of the sound effects and stuff you put in there is so good. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I really try hard because that was that was a big pillar of making the podcast. Uh, Tale of the Manticore did the same. I was so drawn in 
by even just, you know, hoof clops, because it, it kind of harkens back to those old radio dramas, you know, where they were making lightning sounds with big sheets of, uh, of sheet metal behind the microphone. And I said, well, if there's, if there's room for that sort of simple, elegant, creative solutions, and I've got all these tools, like Soundly, I passed on to you, Matt, if I've got all these tools at my disposal, man, I, I would be remiss if I didn't at least try to do something even better. So, um, The next question, I guess. Yes, yeah, so let's just have a big epiphany about how great sound work is. And so, do you find ways to involve audience in your podcast, like suggestions or feedback? Yeah, um, that's been a bit of not a struggle, but I wish it would take off more than it has. Um, but that's that's for a couple of reasons. Um, let me see if I can outline them really quick in my head. So, the short answer, Jay. Yes, to answer your question. Um, there is suites of tools on Spotify, which is kind of the main platform that I lean on for that. And it's really the only platform that I check regularly for audience feedback. So when I post an episode on Spotify, they now have, um, community interact sections, either on the mobile app or via the web web portal on the desktop. And you can scroll to it and you can see questions that I ask at the end of the, of each episode. Some of them are pretty direct. Like, what did you think of this episode? Looking for general feedback. Others are. I try to, you know, make it a little bit more fun. It's like, hey, what was this person doing at the crossroads? Wrong answers only. And I got a couple responses with that, which was really fun. Um, so I'd say community interacts feature on Spotify. And then I, I list my Twitter handle and Gmail at the end of every at the end of every episode. Um, I'm always looking for people to write in, even if it's like a one star. That's, you know, I read I would put a lot more stock in two star reviews and lower stuff to be like, all right, well, they, they really didn't like this. What, if that's a segment that they thought enough to write in and say something, well, maybe I could do a wrinkle of something different to make them a more permanent lister. And if not, no worries. It just cost me a few minutes of my time. It basically cost me nothing except to only improve the podcast. So I'd say Twitter. I'm always looking for people to tweet at me at echoes of Eschaton or via Gmail echoes of Eschaton at gmail.com. And I, I really encourage that. That's a great question. How do you go about balancing story aspects with the rules and mechanics of Degenesis? Ooh, that is a big question. So I, I'll, I'll go off on a tangent. I'm going to hope to circle it back around, but keep that question in mind in case I get too, too far off the rails. There is a podcast that's floating around. I've listened to a few episodes, and I believe it's called Blogs on Tape. And as I remember it, Blogs on Tape is a podcast that performs readings of, uh, you know, adjacent RPG scenes. Um, and I think the aim of Blogs on Tape is to present game theory craft, dungeon master tips, and storytelling frameworks in a digestible way. Uh, the episode that gave me a lot to think about uh, regarding rule balance and story writing is called Proceduralism. It's episode 134. I'll try to break it down, but I'd, I'd encourage anyone to listen to the episode in its entirety, even though it only focuses on um, fantasy games like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so dice rolling, overland travel, combat, barter and trade, all these are considered game mechanics or rules. But the how and why we play uh, more generally can be called procedure. And this is the point um, that the initial blog was trying to make. You know, procedures are a form of rules that sort of operate outside the gameplay itself, like a meta rule set, rules for using rules. Um, mechanics may define why and what is happening in a game, but the procedures define how it happens at the table. And these, these definitions aren't uh, rigid. Um, there is some fluidity between the two, 
Um, but I think procedures will always matter because you can't avoid them when playing games, or rather, you can't avoid applying rules in the game, or, or to the game. Um, so because RPGs are so complex by their nature, they are there. There are different evolutions of how players approach gameplay, and even that can be expanded and influenced by different cultures of play, as something else that the blog says. So what works for one group may not work for the other, and uh, to tie in to Genesis a little bit, it can really come down to language and culture as far as culture of play. The game's setting is in Europe, its uh, designers are European, the game was produced in Europe, etc., etc. From what I remember, the Blogs on Tape episode um, talked about how players should play games in the context of the rules. And delving a little bit deeper into that, that was, I think, what he was trying to say or what the blog was trying to, to say was without, without clear intent. And I want to preface all of this by saying people are free to enjoy games and play them as they see fit. That's what games are for. Finding a result that is you know beneficial for you, whether it's competitive, beneficial for the team, whether it's team play. But I do want to say that Playing and writing games in the context of the surrounding rules in which they were written is very important to me. So to balance story as well as gameplay is a challenge. But I've found some tools uh, and embraced some schools of thought from other RPG communities to sort of help with that. Uh, Namely, there is a play style that sort of um, harkens back to older fantasy RPGs. Uh, I believe it's called Old School Renaissance or Old School Revival. OSR for short, uh, but I'm struggling to put a firm definition on it. Uh, I, I might need to look that up really quick because the definition of it um, directly correlates to uh, their their ethos, you know, their their kind of style of play. So let me look that up really quick. Style of play. This this may be a little bit more uh, up up to speed with the definition. The general ethos of OSR style play emphasizes spontaneous rulings from the referee or game master over set rules found in a book. The idea is for players to engage with the fantasy as much as possible and have the referee or uh, GM arbitrate the outcomes of their specific specific actions in real time. The idea of game balance is also de-emphasized in favor of a system which tests players' skill and ingenuity in often strange or unfair situations. These players should expect to lose if they merely pit their numbers against monsters or situations and should instead attempt to outwit or outmaneuver challenges placed in their way. So that OSR style of play has a little bit of overlap with what I'm doing. You know, instead of me burying myself in the rules and being a rules lawyer, I'd rather just try to tell a great story and interact with it as much as possible in character in my own head. And I make that my priority and make the rules kind of secondary. But as an addendum to that, the rules are in place and as written, I feel are fairly are pretty fair in the in the degenesis system. Um so balancing that is tough, but I'm always willing to tell a better story even if it comes at the sake of say, you know, what what a uh, game designated dice roll should be. So for instance, the the wet, random weather table one of my characters got swept up in a, in a sandstorm and what could have you know easily killed her. I was like, well, you know, there's no rule. There's rules for broken limbs. I was like, I, she's just going to break an arm. And I was like, I, I, I don't want to devote more brain power to that than I have to. It makes sense in the in the realm of what uh, I'm trying to yes. do. And so when yeah. you had your horse go deaf as well. Right. So it's like, OK, well, there's no rules for 
<laughs> animal uh, animal disability, you know, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to endorse animal cruelty in any way, but it's like, that would be an interesting wrinkle. If they get in a position where they can't call the horse, let me, let me just roll with that. So I, that, that's where the balance comes in and it, it becomes a little bit easier. So tell a great story. You know, if, if what happens is a consequence of the story, that's when it should be reactionary and should be fleshed out organically. Sounds great. That was a very long-winded answer. I'm sorry. That was very in-depth. Very enjoyed it. But yeah. the the blog's on tape, and I'm I'm misquoting and, and not giving a, a good summation of, I think, what that blog was trying to say. I would encourage anybody to go back. All that to say, blog's on tape. Writers like myself, everybody has strong feelings on how they like to enjoy their TTRPGs, and, uh, and I think that is a... Uh, a good insightful podcast to listen to for figuring out how to run things better, figuring out, you know, how to operate with, you know, cause GMs wear pretty big hats, how to operate within the rules of running a fair game for your characters, but also making them, making them respectful of the rules that are in place. It's like, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to bend a few. If you're willing to commit and live in this world with me without being too, you know, uh, without doing anything antithetical to this world that's already been created long and short of it. What kind of editing do you do for your podcast? Because um, you do a lot of sound stuff, and that makes it a lot, really easy to get immersed in like the world and stuff. And there's constant like market noise when you go to the market, stuff like that. It's really good, and you have an excellent mic. But is there anything else special you spend your time on? Um, so, are you asking how I edit my podcast, or what else I do as far as editing? Go with a bit of both. Yeah, okay. both. <laughs> uh, well, how I edit my podcast is I'll write everything up. I use a pretty cool app called Notion. Uh, it has lots of different pages and features that helps you keep track of stuff. Uh, I know a lot of people use World Anvil. There's so many great tools out there, but I like to try to keep things locally saved on my computer in case I don't have an internet connection. I can just keep typing and I have everything already at my disposal. So I, I enjoy Notion for that. And then when you connect to the internet, it'll automatically refresh and it, it updates across all devices. But I'll start with that. I'll do... Um, just sort of a read through out loud to make sure things flow and sound right. Because even as I record stuff, I'm just like, oh man, this is just a mouthful. This is so wordy. I really got to, you know, edit and trim this down as best I can. And, you know, we're fill in where, where places are lacking. So I currently use a Audio-Technica ATR USB microphone. Um, it's a simple plug and play. I've got it, uh, plugged in via USB-B, I think, and then the US standard USB on the back port of my computer. Um, and I use, it's not specific to podcasting, but it's, I've just been using it for so long, I'll probably never learn anything else. Um, it's uh, Studio One by Persona Software. Um, there's an artist version that's a little bit cheaper than the pro version. You don't get all the you know, drum kit loops and instrument loops, but that's okay because I just use it for mainly for VO. Um, I'll start recording. I'll go through, make sure it all sounds good. Leaving leaving headroom uh, on the waveform is very important because it's going to be heard in headphones, so you don't want anything to really pop in anybody's ears. And the soundscapes are so rich, and I have a lot of layers in there, and I, I really want people to 
either listen with headphones or, or you know, at least at least on a decent, decent sound system. It gets lost in car noise when you're driving, which is frustrating for me, but I know a lot of people listen to it on the way to work. So I'm trying to get better at post-processing. Listeners out there, I promise I'm not just <laughs> calling it quits after each episode. Um, so I'll record, I'll go through, do a, a quick uh, processing pass on that, and then I'll go back and I'll insert my voice cast. Um, and they've been very patient with me about asking questions or I, you know, and, and asking for feedback. And I say, Hey, you guys are doing great. But you know, if you, if you feel like you need to upgrade your microphone, that would be a plus for me because that makes it sound better for me and for you. And the mileage that you get from a decent microphone, especially in the TTRPG realm cannot be measured. I'll say that. Um, so I'll record, I'll do that, go through it. And I think the last thing I add is probably the music music and sound effects, because I've already set the mood. I know how it wants to sound. That way I can just drag and drop from soundly. I'm like, Ooh, that would be good here. Ooh, let me trim this down here. Um, so studio one, pretty easy interface personas. And then the other editing that I do, I also edit other podcasts. Um, I edit a podcast for a, a local university, which is pretty fun. And, um, in the past, I, I don't know if I want to re revive it or not. Um, I've done another podcast in the past uh, that was based on movie quotes, and that one's always really fun to do with with some guests. Um, and I, I can talk more about that if you want, but as just a, a small mention of what else I do, and uh, that's pretty much it as far as audio editing. Hmm. I'm saying about guests, do you have any special guests or collaborations planned in the future? In the future, hmm. yeah, I, two episodes ago, yes, two episodes ago. Um, I spoke to the creator of the game uh, of Degenesis. His name is Marco Georgievich. Um, he is, runs a Berlin art studio, and he was—he's very active in the Discord community. He loves having the fans, you know, check out the art and all the fun stuff that's coming out in the game. And although this, the RPG IP of Degenesis has been retired, um, he has a new foray into uh, a new board game that's based in the Degenesis universe. So. It's very exciting. I won't go into great detail here because there's been a lot of reveals recently, but I'd be happy to send you all the Discord link to Clan Wars, a Degenesis board game after. Um, and that's that's nice. going to be a really fun pick-up and play style too. Um, other special guests? You know, what I want to do for Season 2 is so big right now. I won't spoil too much here, but um, I, think, I think I'm going to have to reach out and get some uh, some paid voice actors not to not to discredit the folks i already have who are so wonderful right now but there's a level of there's a level of regional fidelity that i'm looking for in season oh. two and i'll say that much because a lot of degenesis is uh european places mash together and stuff right right interesting nice speaking of Voice, well, getting people to voice stuff because that's mostly what you do when you invite other people over on yours. Um, how do you handle scheduling? Because even with our podcast, we're split between the US and the UK, and it is not easy a lot of the time. Yeah, um, it's another good question. Like I mentioned, patience earlier. My my current voice cast is awesome. They're very patient, and I also have the benefit of dealing with a lot of night owls, kind of like myself. I can't stay up as late as I normally want to, but normally if I've got a quick question or I need a quick reread, somebody's usually awake to do so. But in terms of scheduling, um, 
I plan things out. I've just, man, you used to talk about episodes in, in the hopper or banked episodes. I've only got a handful because <laughs> it's, it's a back-to-back weekly release, and I, I want to try to keep up that schedule. It may change for season two, but not by much. Um, scheduling, I, I just try to give uh, voice cast and anybody else's help that I need, I try to give them at least a week's heads up. That way, if something falls through the cracks, I've still got a few days to reach out to them because uh, everybody I interact with is based in Australia, Germany, Croatia, London. I mean, lots of places just like Pine of Cthulhu. Um, so is there a specific question about scheduling? My brief answer is I just give everybody a week heads up and try to give them as much information as I can. Ah, that's fine. Especially okay. with how you spread out. People you work with are Australia, yeah. UK, America. Oof. That's a lot of different time zones to work out. It is. Yeah, you should opposite. see my you should see my computer dashboard. I have like eight world clocks. Yeah, opposite time zones too, like uh, twelve hour differences for some of them. Yeah, but they're patient, yeah. like I said. Well, going into the last set of questions, um, can you share any tips or advice for someone interested in starting their own Degenesis game or podcast? Great question. Hmm. Okay. So my tips are going to be short, but I'll, I'll expand a little bit on running the own, on running their own game. Uh, so tips, tips for the podcast will be brief. I would say you need a quality microphone. Don't use an integrated headset. Don't use a phone. If you want to make something that you enjoy listening to, that's the most important thing. Make something you want to enjoy listening to. But other than that, if you want to spread it around and have other people enjoy it and give you feedback, buy a nice microphone. You know, over budget something between, uh, you know, I'll say it for your yours and my audience. I'll say you know something between fifty uh, U.S. dollars or sixty uh, pounds and seventy-five dollars and eighty pounds. You know, something that's going to be that's going to last you a while. Something that's easy to plug up and set up. It has a little bit of noise canceling, so that's a brief tip. And then the second tip, just read. I don't think people do enough reading. I, I think that they have great creative ideas that they want to follow through on and tell their own stories, and that is perfect. That's what got me into it in the first place. But at the same time, I also spent a hefty dose of my time in pre-production reading, planning, thinking about the stories that I really wanted to tell instead of just going with a gut reaction. You know, that's, that's what the dice are for. If you're like, oh, I, I want to, uh, well, let me just, let me try this. Let me see what the dice would say. And that's how I've been operating. So those are my two tips, quality microphone and read. Read other stories that make you happy. Read fantasy, read sci-fi, read everything. And then if you're doing something specific like Degenesis, man, you got to read in Degenesis. It is a necessity. Now, running your own uh, Degenesis game, I would emphasize reading for sure. But really get a good a good grasp on the world. That doesn't necessarily mean get super granular into you know get into the weeds on you know oh what is this person doing at this time. That's all well and good, but having an understanding of how the world and just how the gears turn in the background that is critical because from that understanding everything else falls into place. It's like okay, uh, well in this city uh, these people usually wake up at noon. These people usually have a religious festival every Sunday. That's that's enough to go on for a brief campaign. Hey, you have to steal this 
MacGuffin, this whatever, while this religious ceremony is going on. You know what I mean? So with that contextual framework, it makes running the game a little bit easier. And I would also say this, specifically for role-playing games like Degenesis, role-playing heavy games like Degenesis, man, theater of the mind, don't discount it. I know it seems like a bunch of extra words and text, but I mean, GMs are referees, sure, but they're also storytellers. And for people to really feel like they're buying into the world, set up a scene. Not everything has to have a map or digital tokens associated with it. Those are fine, and those provide so much value for people playing digitally. I understand that. But man, start with just a picture and be like, all right, you, we've got some dice. Take, take it away. You know, here's, here's where you're at. Describe the scene a little bit and just let, let people have it naturally unfold. It doesn't have to be, uh, I'd like to move five meters with my digital token to this Apple stand. And, oh, does the merchant have, is the merchant clickable? Can I do that? That makes games drag on so much more, in my opinion. Um, there's a time and a place for everything, but theater of the mind, let that be your guiding principle for running your own games, especially to Genesis. Nice. Uh, on to our last proper question then you already hinted uh, about the voice acting potentially changing um, if if every, everything goes absolutely the best it could what would your goals or aspirations be for the podcast like best case scenario man that's now that's a fun question um, shit man I <laughs> is there anything Any... you'd love to have happen yeah, I'd love to have lots of things happen. I'd love to have uh, a dedicated voice cast that would, you know, tell tell stories a lot more often. I will I will spoil a little something, um, which is pretty fun. I we had a uh, a writing contest in one of our Degenesis servers recently, and we had about 24, 25 submissions. They were all twelve hundred words or less, and I I threw my hat in the ring too, which was fun. I said, man, if there are people that listen to this and enjoy it. And they enjoy writing and have a decent grasp of the world. Well, what if in between my campaign episodes, we had some community feature highlights? So I started putting together a short list of the best stories that I read and reached out to some people. And I may be bringing some more. I may or may not be, but definitely are bringing some more writers on board to do maybe like short anthology series to kind of fill in the gaps with certain things. So that's something that I'm looking forward to. And then it's really cool. Yeah, thank you. And I, it's great to highlight people that like your work and you get to chat with them. And I, I just think Discord's the best. I, I really do. I'm so happy I signed up for the service. But um, let's see. Goals and aspirations. I, I'd, love, I'd love an audience of 50,000 people, Jay. That is, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's a big, uh, big goal <laughs> because that means, that means that people like what I'm doing. I can continue to enjoy what I'm doing and I don't have to be I'm not, I'm never going to be heavy handed with advertising because I think podcast advertising is kind of a waste of time, but, um, I, I would just love a continued growing audience and I'd love people to buy into this world and I'd like it to be less of a niche and ultimate goals. Man, if, if there, if there are any Hollywood execs out there that are listening to this, I will do some screenwriting for you. Me and <laughs> five or six other people that I know across the pond would make a killer TV series for this show. And if that stems from what they've heard on a podcast or what they see in a Discord server, man, that would be a dream come true. I'd definitely watch that. Oh, wouldn't you? It'd be so badass. (laughs) Get Josh an acting part in it. 
<laughs> yeah, Josh is a stunt actor. A stunt, well, ex stunt actor. Cool. Background extra. Yeah, I mean, even if it's just a, even if he's just a, a mead, a mead merchant in the city of Justician in the dusty <laughs> town. I mean, he he has a part already written for him. I'd love that. That'd be great. I'll let him know. Well, on to the very last thing. Where can people find you? How can people find you? And so on and so forth. So you can find me everywhere at Echoes of Eschaton. That's Echoes, O-F-E-S-H-A-T-O-N. Echoes of Eschaton. I'm found on Twitter there. Don't have an Instagram presence yet. I don't really see uh, the necessity for that. What, what I might do in the future if I do use Instagram, I'll be, it'll be at the same handle because I already have it earmarked but um i may just put snippets audio snippets of the show on there with like a uh, a waveform that you can see or some flashing text um and at gmail reach out to me say hello let me know if you like the show let me know if you're interested in maybe doing some small writing i'd love to look at your work echoes of eschaton at gmail.com and uh, and i just posted the transcripts um for most of the episodes i don't update my wordpress site uh, as readily as i want to but you can find me uh, echoes or WordPress. You can find me at wordpress.com echoes of Eschaton. And you can, uh, if you're, if you're hearing impaired, that's a segment that I wanted to reach out to and kind of help out with. I know it seems silly to say it on the podcast now, but um, if you know anybody who would like to read the show, if they're interested in post-apocalyptic fiction, I'm trying to post all the transcripts of the show on my website so that people can enjoy it offline as well. Well, thank you very much for your time, good sir. We have thoroughly enjoyed this. And yeah, that is the end of this interview. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening, and goodbye. Thank you, everyone.